This is MSCI Perspectives, your source for insights for global investors and access to research and expertise from across the investment industry. I'm your host, Adam Bass, and today is May 27th, 2021. Today, while there are certainly parts of the world where the pandemic continues its deadly march, greater access to vaccines in places like the U.S. and in Europe have caused governments to relax or even remove restrictions. We can now see our friends, our kids can go to school, and we can go back to the office. But will we? COVID has demonstrated that um, a lot of what we do in offices can be done at home or at least from somewhere else. And the kind of traditional office as we knew it wasn't an absolute necessity. That's our first guest today, friend of the pod and MSCI's Global Head of Real Estate Solutions Research, Will Robson. Now, that doesn't mean that the office is dead or anything like that. Um, there are probably things that can be done in the office better than they can be at home. And so I think people are really thinking about what they miss from going to the office, what they do better in the office versus working at home. And that's generally the, the kind of social interaction, the things that you do, kind of creating, innovating, collaborating, all those things, the way the, the human element is important. I think offices are good places to do that. Working from home gives you kind of kind of privacy and quiet time for kind of getting concentrated work done. But going to the office just to sit next to other people to, to do those things doesn't really make sense. I truly believe that it is about uh, the activities in a role. And in fact, MSCI's Future of Work principles and practices state that office is our hub it's not disappearing. Our whole approach to role flexibility is based on the activities in that role and where they're best performed. And that's today's second guest, Faye Woodhead. I am the Head of Talent Attraction and Mobility and HR Lead for Future of Work at MSCI. I am also a trustee of 10,000 Black Interns and I am an active board member of the Future Talent Council. Um, with a focus on DE&I and talent. I'm an ally. I am a full-time working mother of six-year-old twins. We've uncovered that our offices provide formality, a sense of brand and belonging. They provide access to infrastructure, a place for clients to visit us, but also really importantly, a place for our employees to collaborate, to be creative, um, to have that social interaction, the problem solving, And our offices will remain open to any employee who wants to work in them. But we do anticipate that the activities performed in those offices will be different to those pre-pandemic. So to highlight, we don't expect employees to sit at their desks and respond to emails all day um, in the office, whereas we do expect our employees to spend time with each other um, in person and working together um, in an office. This all sounds very balanced and reasonable, but we've all seen the articles where a CEO declares that everyone must come back to the office regardless of role. And we've also heard some who say no one will come back, or at least no one has to come back. So how is this actually breaking down across different companies, different sectors? So I'm seeing three responses. The first is everybody back to the office. Um, That was a bit of a blip. But now we expect employees to be back in the workplace in a similar way to pre-pandemic. 
Then I think we are seeing um, a hybrid model emerge, empowering employees to work in the traditional workplace of, of an office, um, as well as outside of it. And um, that's where MSCI sits. And then the last response is the fully remote response. There were fully remote organisations prior to the pandemic, but we're seeing more firms move to this, primarily, I think, in the tech space. Previously, it was seen as an, an anomaly, and now it's becoming um, more the norm and certainly more acceptable. Yeah, I, th I think it's um, there's a real diversity in, in approach. I think as we've kind of moved through and we're getting to the stage where the, the vaccines are being rolled out, it's safer to, to kind of move back to the office. There are some companies that are quite keen for their employees to get back to the office as soon as possible, uh, and some that are still very open to them working at home kind of all the time if they want to. But I think the vast majority are somewhere in the middle, um, and they, they recognise the benefits of working from home for their employees and, and for their own the corporate entity, but they don't know what the right balance is uh, long term, and I think Everyone's kind of feeling their, their way through this, uh, and it's going to evolve over time. And that brings us to our third guest this week. I am uh, Joe Gagliardi. I am the uh, Global Head of Corporate Services at MSCI. Part of Joe's job is making sure that MSCI's buildings and office spaces are configured to meet the company's needs, the employees' needs to do their jobs well. Now, while he concedes that this reemergence is a work in progress and he doesn't have all the answers, like Faye, he has to make a call and put a stake in the ground because he has to know where to focus his time and budget. We've seen through the pandemic that remote work is sustainable and effective. Uh, at the same time, you know, th this notion that everyone's going to work remotely in the future or want to work remotely in the future all the time. It's certainly a fallacy, right? So I stay in touch with uh, a large number of heads of corporate real estate uh, across a, a fairly wide cross-section of firms, firms in technology, financial services, professional services sectors. And generally what you see at this point is firms are resetting, I would call it, their real estate footprint to support uh, a hybrid work model you know, to varying degrees. It's going to mean different things for different firms. Uh, it's going to mean different things for different people. Uh, it's going to be based on uh, the role that someone has. Uh, but it's also going to be based or be influenced, I would say, by the demographics uh, of either the people in the roles, the locations where people are. So a lot of factors will come into play. Um, but we do feel very firmly that hybrid work will certainly be around for an extended period of time. There definitely seemed to be some consensus among our guests that, at least for now, hybrid is where most companies are likely to fall. But what about the employees? What do they think about going back? I mean, what am I supposed to do with this closet full of sweatpants? I asked Faye that very question. Um, Wait, I have to cut in here for a minute. To be clear, the question I asked her was not the one about the sweatpants. Okay, let's get back to Faye. So when I think about employees, I think they're making a bit more of a binary choice. They will either be in line with their organization's decisions or against them. And this sounds obvious, but, but let me just explain a little bit. Pre-pandemic, workforce flexibility and employees who worked remotely 
I believe were somewhat stigmatized. Oh, I forgot you're not working tomorrow. No, I'm working from home. It's different. Was was pretty commonplace in uh, in the workplace. And similarly, negotiating a day, a week uh, from home was something that was done either through headhunters or was sort of snuck in to the end of a recruitment process when someone was just deciding whether they were going to accept or not. And it was almost uh, hush-hush, something that sadly I think was seen as a gender topic, um, and with most flex workers being women. And, and that's because it was conflated uh, very obviously with caring responsibilities. And now I see it as completely different. It's upfront, it's part of the decision-making as to whether to interview with an organization or stay with an organization. I wouldn't consider working for a company that doesn't offer flexibility. I'm certainly not alone. Uh, LinkedIn reported a 60% increase in job seekers searching for flexibility in the first wave of the pandemic last year. So for roles that have been done successfully out of the office over the past 18 months, employees are asking, why is there a need to go back? And given so many organisations now are offering that flexibility, uh, the talent market's opening up. So I don't think it's a nice to have anymore. I think it's a must have. I believe firms who do not offer that flexibility, um, as well as the relevant technology and supportive culture, will not be able to compete for top quality A plus talent and neither will they be able to retain it. I'll go a step further and say, organizations now have access to more talent. Um, boundaries have literally been stripped away. And certainly not alone there. There articles every day. I read one just this morning in the Wall Street Journal on exactly this topic, where pretty much word for word what you were saying here, a uh, few people interviewed said, I will not even consider working for a company that does not offer me this type of flexibility. So and it was across industries. It was not just tech. There were some financial firms in there, which I'm wondering about actually, are financial firms handling this differently than some others? I think we are seeing a mixed response. Um, I do think the investment industry or the financial services industry in general is steeped in tradition and our culture historically has been built around physically being together in an office environment. Our clients being absolutely central to what we do mean that historically in-person client relationships have been a key part of, of our DNA and our success. So our, our cultures have definitely benefited, but I think particularly when it comes to accessing and retaining that talent, uh, the financial services industry will need to take a, you know, take a look at where it can be more flexible. I would just add there, and I think I mentioned this earlier, not every role can be done flexibly. And I think it's really important that we don't just assume that, uh, that, that, that they can. We've been in a pandemic, there's been a, you know, a threat of death, um, if we didn't work differently to the way we worked historically. Um, but I do think that some roles can't and some roles shouldn't be done out of uh, an office environment. So across industries, there will have to be 
some very thoughtful work. Um, but for those organisations where work can be done remotely and has proven to be successful over the past 18 months, it's time for change. There's a couple of points here I want to stay on for a bit. First is Faye's emphasis on the fact that not every job can be done outside the office. We'll get back to that one. Right now, we have to talk about one thing that unfortunately did not change during the pandemic. And that's the fact that childcare had an outsized effect on women's jobs compared to men. So I think, unfortunately, uh, it is true. Women are dropping out of the workplace more and more. Uh, between caring responsibilities, homeschooling, and the sectors of the job market that have literally been wiped out by the pandemic, women have been hit hardest. Um, and McKinsey has published research saying it will take years to regain the lost ground. So firms have to react to this now more than ever. In my mind, attraction, recruitment, development, retention of women becomes absolutely critical. But she went on to explain that at the same time, that doesn't tell the whole story. I know several senior and junior women in finance, in teaching, in caring professions whose careers have literally taken off over the past year, and I don't think they're alone. For women in organisations that are making positive change, there is opportunity. And if I can bring my own story into this for a moment, uh, I have become a better parent, um, hopefully a better wife, um, a better thinker, a role model, a leader, uh, and, and through MSCI's culture of flexibility. And it's not something I expected going into remote working, but it's definitely something I want to focus on um, and continue as we move into our future of work uh, reality. Again, as all our guests have said, balance. So what about those jobs that need to be done in the office that Faye mentioned? There are certainly critical production activities. You know, we, we create hundreds of thousands of indexes, and many of those are real-time indexes, right? And you need to literally be producing them and generating them and distributing them in real time. So you want to be able to control the conditions around that, right? You want to make sure that the computers are powered up, uh, that the Internet is stable and resilient you want to provide people the the quiet spaces they need to you know to to do their work and do it in an uninterrupted way so the people who provide all the technology to support their colleagues that's also uh, tends to be some of the roles that you know you need someone who's going to open up the box of laptops and set them up and make sure they're configured properly and then get them into the hands of your employees right so there's certain activities that, you know, you need to be in an office. You know, when clients want to start visiting us again and want us to visit them, right, those certainly are in-office type of activities. You know, so there's there's a host of it. Is it every role in the firm? Certainly not. Is it every hour of, you know, every day for those roles? You know, also certainly not. When I spoke to Will about this question, he agreed. Sort of. So things around compliance or access to data or to hardware or software technology that can only be accessed in, in the office, uh, that might be true today with current technical um, solutions. But I'm not sure how many of those those perceptions are kind of 
always going to be true. And whether technology, different ways of working, different perceptions of senior management might evolve over time. I think for any sort of bigger shifts over a longer period of time, it's not like you can just move a company that has always worked in an office to working from home for the long term and it's going to be successful. It needs to kind of change its approach to technology, its approach to culture gradually over time to to be successful in that endeavor because you see some of the companies that are most kind of cheerleading from uh, distributed working uh, tend to be the technology companies that have kind of set themselves up from day one to be distributed and the the way that they organize themselves culturally from a HR perspective from a technology point of view is set up to be successful in that in that form of working Um, so it doesn't mean that certain sectors of the economy can't do it it might be easier for some than others but um, it's going to take work to, to move in that direction I would think. I've, I've heard that in, in different senses in terms of, say, fintech versus um, an, an old established investment bank, that it's just it's not necessarily a more, quote unquote, enlightened culture, so to speak, in the in the smaller firm. It's more that they were set up more recently. So in in so many ways, it's easier to pivot, but also they don't have the entrenched history it's not so much of a culture change as we might see for some of the bigger firms yeah i think that's right i think a lot of this is down to culture because uh, even before covid i think many companies could have allowed more flexible working technology around teams or zoom and those kind of technologies aren't kind of brand new as a result of covid they were there before and and people were doing it but it's the cultural change and the acceptance from management um, that that's a valid way of working that really is changed as a result of the pandemic and for that to continue after the pandemic and become more entrenched is is really a a cultural change changing a corporate culture that is a tall order under any circumstance while some may say the pandemic has already changed the culture of many firms making it stick is another story in finance investing you often hear about reversion to the mean most people seek equilibrium and they find comfort in the familiar. If you think about it, you really can't blame a management team for feeling relieved that things can finally go back to normal, and that they would just expect everything to go right back the way it used to be in the before times, or as they may see it, the good old days. And as Joe pointed out, it's simpler if everyone's just in the office, you know, obviously, um, you know, for a lot of reasons, you don't have to uh, deal with the the different type of technology, the you know making the experience the same. You don't have to worry about people's behaviors. Uh, you know, for lack of a better word, you know how are they going to treat one another? Is there going to be a bias towards people who are in the office versus you know not in the office? Uh, are managers going to treat their you know team you know members differently because they're at home, you know, more often than not, or they're in the office more often than not. So I think there certainly is a, there is a keep it simple approach to just make them all go back to the office and, you know, maybe we don't have to deal with all that. I do think though that employers, uh, you know, as much as they want to influence that, employees want flexibility now. On the other hand, if you think about it, MSCI, we have 3,600 employees. 
we want to build a sense of collaboration and community. Um, you don't want 3,600 mercenaries, right? Just everyone kind of doing their own thing at their own place and never, you know, interacting, right? You know, when we started on our journey of thinking about the future of work, we emphasize that the client has to be at the center of all this, right? It's got to work for the client. And the client, you know, obviously means our external clients, but it also means our internal clients, right? So if you're interacting with people, you know, how you interact matters. We've built MSCI's future of work based on the input of our employees. And what I mean by that is we've listened to everybody. It's important because we need to build something that works for us our clients, our shareholders and our employees. We couldn't simply lift and drop from research or other organisations or lift and drop from a small group of people's uh, ideas. So we defined principles that help us in our decision making. You know, we, we care deeply about our employees and we are flexible and that will not change. But at the same time, we're doing what's right um, and not necessarily always what's easiest. That sentiment, the idea that choices that seem like a question of right and wrong, and maybe, must also make sound business sense. Now, that, that probably sounds familiar. We've talked about this balance before on the program, when we've discussed things like diversity, equality, and inclusion, corporate net zero commitments, and sustainable investing generally. Joe spoke earlier about how preparing for a hybrid workforce requires what he called a real estate reset. Yes, certain locations, city centers like London and New York, they remain vital in terms of finding talent and make sense as office hubs. But the needs have changed in terms of overall office footprint, as well as other considerations. And here's where it all comes together, if you were wondering. You can't talk about the future of work without also talking about the impact of climate change on corporate real estate decisions and real estate investors. I asked Will about how these ideas intersect. Yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, I think there's a, there's a bunch of different areas where this could overlap. But if you think of ESG more broadly, um, the S in ESG is around um, kind of social impact. And people have been talking about kind of the health of buildings, especially since COVID, uh, how the physical nature of an office building uh, is conducive to healthy working in terms of air quality and, and all that kind of thing. And in the immediate kind of aftermath of people going back to the office, kind of cleaning routines and the materials used for door handles and all these kind of things to, to minimize kind of virus spread. So I think those kind of things will become important and there's various companies kind of starting up to, to rate buildings on these dynamics um, so that could play into kind of relative valuations of buildings um, I think when you think of climate um, there are if you think of everybody working from home uh, rather than going to the office you've got a whole heap of residential properties that are probably being heated and or cooled depending on where you are in the world um, during the day more than they would have been if everybody was out at work so thinking about the, the net impact of the heating and cooling cost of all the residential property versus um, the office buildings against the, the kind of saving or, or greater spending on commuting in, in terms of emissions as well. So 
I, I don't know where the net impact of that is, but you would think it's uh, something to, to think about. More broadly, um, I think just understanding the, the kind of, we talked about the, the classifications around uh, healthy buildings, but the environmental performance of buildings, regulation in that area from a climate perspective, um, potentially uh, if you, if, Governments are going to start mandating certain minimum levels of efficiency for buildings to be leased. That potentially could um, reduce the supply of of buildings into into the leasing markets. And if there's a whole bunch of buildings that are kind of not as attractive to uh, office tenants going forwards because they're they're just not offering the kind of space that facilitates the the more collaborative uh, tasks that people want to do rather than just row upon row of desks then I think you're going to end up with a lot more dispersion in performance uh, between the best buildings and the worst buildings, whether that's the ones that are better set up for this kind of hybrid working environment or those that are more healthy buildings or kind of efficient buildings. I think there's going to be a lot more dispersion around the best versus the worst and a lot more kind of data around what makes them the best and the worst. So many discussions these days seem to come back to that type of regulations, standardization, and transparency and disclosure feels like that's what we're saying here as well. Yeah, I think so. I think um, going forwards, whether it's because of regulation or not, there's I think there's this kind of greater demand uh, from tenants about what makes a good office building will be driven by lots of different characteristics of those buildings. And to understand whether your building is good or not and, and how that's impacting performance people want, will want to know and track uh, information about uh, how a building is performing because people won't be demanding office space on a kind of square basis uh, as a kind of warehouse for their staff they they want to encourage productivity of the workforce and um, if people have been a lot more um, specific about what they're going to do in the office and around collaboration and stuff, owners or landlords of buildings are going to have to be able to demonstrate how they help their tenants achieve that productive workforce. And data is going to be key to that. We've always looked at the quality of the premises, you know, across a number of variables. You know, we care about the the power and the cooling and the technology and the is it close to public transportation and you know is it a good building run by a good management company you know increasingly sustainability is clearly part of that so you know as we look at opportunities to make sure we have the right footprint right that we, we reset you know based on what our occupancy model tells us it should look like you know we're making sure that you know, it checks all those boxes for sustainability. I think of it as, you know, I was a hotel and I provided all these rooms, but most of the time they were empty. Or if I was an airline and I was flying a lot of empty seats, right? That's just not good business, right? So similarly, if we have offices that we sized because we thought, well, everyone needs a seat every day, you know, that's just not good business, right? If everyone doesn't need to come in every day, and, you know, will that be more sustainable? Certainly, right? We'll, we'll have a smaller footprint, uh, but it's got to be a smart footprint. It's got to be in places where people can get to, you know, easily with public transportation or if it's in a 
you know, in a, in a place where people can bike, uh, you got to make sure you provide them the right um, amenities, you know, to, to allow for that. So, you know, we've always focused on these things, but I think it's even more important now than ever. This time is different. In terms of incorrect assertions, that sentence is right up there with, it's perfectly reasonable to put ketchup on your hot dog. Now, I have no doubt, companies that determine that a flexible hybrid model is the best decision will work hard to achieve that goal. They'll put policy in place. But the cynic in me, well, he wonders how long that lasts in spirit. This very question came up toward the end of my conversation with Faye. Now, I want to be conscious of your time. I know we're a few minutes over, but if you have a moment, I do have one final question that I, I definitely need to ask, which is, this all sounds fantastic as an employee. <laughs> I, I like what I'm hearing for sure, and I understand it's it's beneficial for the company. But how how do we ensure that a year from now, let's say, we don't start slipping back into old habits, that, that FaceTime that we talked about, that there are de facto benefits, let's say, to those who choose to come to the office versus those who don't? Yes, uh, it's really important we talk about this. So I'm glad um, that you've asked the question and I definitely want to make time for this. So we've seen the pandemic as, a, as an accelerant for change. I think, again, there will be firms who and organisations and industries and, and even individual managers who may feel more comfortable in the previous way of working. I would say there is a call to action for everybody to make sure that we don't slip back. Um, so it's upon everybody and the responsibility sits with everybody to ensure that we don't and that we really do take advantage of the benefits that we've seen through the pandemic um, and working remote of working remotely. Um, but we're going to go further than that. And, and it probably won't surprise you, Adam, to know that we use data. So we are monitoring office usage. We are training managers, we are enabling employees, and we're importantly rethinking all of our talent processes to account for the future of work. And what I mean by that is we're going to measure the way we attract talent, hire, on board, develop, promote, um, and even move people. And the reason that we're going to be doing that is we need to ensure employees who are office-based are not prioritized over those who are not. We need to ensure that the percentage of employees who are hired, promoted or even leave the company are not concentrated into a group of hybrid employees or remote employees or office based employees. So it's important that we layer that into um, the way that we build our, our talent practices. Um, and to do that, we're going to keep listening. We're going to keep learning and we're going to keep adapting. That's all for this week. Our thanks to Faye, Joe, and Will, and to all of you for listening. If you like what you hear on Perspectives, please don't keep it a secret. Subscribe, leave a rating, leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm your host, Adam Bass, and this is MSCI Perspectives. Stay safe, everyone.